Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, uh, ESPN LA, it is Thursday or Friday, what day is it? Thursday. Thursday, it the is, day after Valentine's Day. It is the day after Valentine's Day, the day before the All-Star Weekend officially commences. Right, and so uh, the Lakers haven't quite wrapped up the, well, I guess what they call the first half of the season, um, and uh, they'll head in the All-Star break. They get a whole week off, which I think, Andy, they might need. Yeah. They yeah, don't play I'd, until Friday after the the game Thursday night in Minnesota. If nothing else, Lonzo clearly needs the time off and a little more rest and relaxation because he did not play last night against New Orleans. He's not going to play against Minnesota. He's not going to be in the Rising Stars game. And we have been told he will be back at some point after the All-Star break. But there's been no definitive date. There's no definitive date. They do seem to be confident. You know, because he practiced um, earlier this week. Yes, and took some contact. Okay, took a little contact. But there's discomfort. Um, there was. There, it's all very confusing to me. But he will at at, at some point be back. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's not back at the at the end of the break, they play Friday a week from for us a week from tomorrow. Is I think that's at home against Dallas. If he's not on the floor for that game, then I think it's okay for people to be like, "What the heck?" Yeah. You know, like even, even stronger language again. Not well, I'm not allowed to use it, but you know, not so much again. The Lakers screwed this up, or set all that aside. It's just a matter of, dude, like what's wrong with that guy's knee, um, or is he just you know one of these? Are they, they're not letting him play, or is he just not want to play until he feels better? Whatever it might be, everybody starts to get a little more upset. But we'll we'll talk more about Lonzo here in a minute because um, Andy's dad is back in the news, so that's Shocking. always exciting. Uh, but let's start here. The Lakers have now played two games post-trade. They have lost both of them. They've given up uh, no less than 130 points, I think, in either one. Um, and uh, lost. And so that's that's bad. Defense has not been good. Can't blame it on IT for the New Orleans game. He only played five minutes before he was ejected. Which, by the way, was real stupid. It, it was stupid, and you could see that Rondo entered that game wanting to go at Isaiah Thomas. I mean, it's funny. Oh, yeah. They, they ended up, it was a double ejection when they had to be separated. And Isaiah only played five minutes, but Rondo was only on the court with Isaiah for about a minute and a half. It's the, it was it's about 90 seconds. If, if you're a hockey fan, it's the equivalent of, of the, the goon jumping over the boards who's, you know, he walks out onto the ice, skates out on the ice and drops his glove before the guy, the, 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 the linesman drops the puck. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what we're doing here. And, I just, on the one hand, I get it, like, oh, we have to keep control of this game, you know, and whatever. The flip side of that is, like, they weren't actually doing anything yet. Like, it's like they weren't throwing Well, at that point, and, though, with Rondo, it was his second technical. Like, No, but I understand, but, like, when you, it, it, the throwing IT out particularly, right. but it's just... I could see tossing Rondo, because Rondo, yeah. Rondo came in really with a mindset of, yeah, this is going to get me tossed, but it's worth it to me. And it's funny because Isaiah said, uh, you know, he knocked down uh, Isaiah a few times. Uh, he forced a turnover from him. And, and he said that, uh, Tom, Thomas said that Rondo kept talking about the Paul Pierce, uh, jersey right. retirement, uh, fiasco that was supposed to go on at one point with Isaiah's right, before he got tribute traded. video. It would have been before this, he got traded. It actually would have been this week because that's when they play. But what, what's funny about that too is, you know, I mean, Rondo is one of those dudes that, you know, rides hard in either direction. I mean, he's just wired like that. And Paul Pierce is clearly one of his guys. They won a title together. But also too, like when Isaiah Thomas, like a few weeks ago, initially weighed in on that, 
Thomas shouldn't have even gotten a tribute video in the first place. And he said, you know, what, you know, what, what's he done? You know, like what exactly has he done? And, and he says, you know, this is the Boston Celtics. This isn't the Phoenix Suns. No disrespect to any other organization, but you don't hang conference titles. He didn't choose, I'm guessing, the Suns by accident. Do you remember what the Suns were? Uh, a former team of Isaiah Thomas. That no, they were the team that drafted Rondo. And then oh, traded it. That's him. right. And I'm guessing, about I'm guessing, given the way Rondo is wired, just choosing the Suns in and of itself, not an Who accident. Hell knows. It's just it was, the whole thing was dumb, and you know, Walton getting thrown out was dumb. I mean, everything. It was just one of those dumb officiated games where you start to wonder, like, how any of this ever operates effectively because nobody comes to watch referees ref. Um, but it was a bad game otherwise for the Lakers. They got off to a terrible start. I mean, you can't blame the result on Thomas getting thrown out or Walton getting thrown out because they were down like 21 to three or something and had to abandon the run after five minutes in the game. Um, the, we had an interesting question. Travis and I were talking about this in the post game show last night. I think they obviously knew that the defense was going to suffer. When you take Larry Nance out and statistically he was one of their best defenders in terms of metrics and all yes. that. Jordan Clarkson wasn't one of their best defenders, but is better than Thomas. And then, you know, it's kind of a two-for-one where now somebody else has to be on the floor a little bit more and the rotations are different. They knew that the defense was going to suffer. I think that was yeah. a given. I mean, I'd like to think they did. Otherwise, I have no faith in this front office. Right. Like, they clearly don't spend much time scouting. Do you think they care? Like, is it important to them that, you know, the defense could slide – in meaningful ways over the last, whatever it is, 25 games that they've got to play. I'm guessing there's some selective caring, Brian. Like I, I imagine they care how the starting unit performs because for the time being, that's the same dude's pre-trade. Right, and they've been and garbage for the last two They've been garbage. Games. So unless, you know, like Julius Randle and, and Ingram just can't get past the way they miss Jordan Clarkson and Nance, like, you know, everybody was tight. They've been they together played better a few defensively because they knew Larry was watching i'm get. i mean like there's no real excuse. judging eye of larry nance from yeah, the I bench. Mean, you can't put this on the trade because that in theory has nothing to do with it and then i guess they're going to selectively care in terms of watching how guys individually play you know is josh hart i'm throwing him out there just an example is he getting beat on back cuts is he watching his man you know is ingram rotating the way he should is julius continuing to to show that good uh energy defensively like, I think the, the cohesiveness, particularly in the second unit, they have to expect slippage. And to some degree, that's the cost of doing grand business. The business with this that trade. they did. Because had they not shown the ability to be decent defensively, and they'll, they'll, I was about to say they're going to get Lonzo back, but we don't know. We don't know. Um, and, and sliding in theory hard to that second unit will help the defense. It will help. I mean, he's, he's statistically like, he, he shows a lot of effort. Um, and he wants to be a good defender, sometimes not as effect, but whatever, he tries. Um, if they, if they hadn't had long stretches where they had shown the ability as a group to be, you know, top 10 to top 15 defensive squad, then I think you would worry more. Um, because like you say, you have to, you always have to make the deal that you think is better for you in the long term, even if it hurts you a little bit in the short. Um, I, it's probably okay. I, I mean, think. It, just, I think again, as as it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about the last 25 games or so of the season. If they'd shown no improvement whatsoever, right, then, then maybe you would. Maybe you'd worry just because of the idea of okay, having Thomas out there might lead to worse habits defensively or something like that. But again, well, they might have it, to change. They, they tr- they've tried to you know right. just keep with the 
switch everything. Right. Exa- exactly. I mean, there's certain there's certain things they can't the, do anymore. You don't want to have, but like, you don't want to have to, adju- like, significantly adjust how you play I would, things. I honestly, just I wouldn't. For him. I wouldn't adjust it at all. That's my point. It's yeah. like you don't want to have to do that. And if you end up, if you end up with a like, you know, let's we saw against Dallas. There were some of those bad switches where Isaiah ended up on Dirk, Dirk. which is hilariously <laughs> which visually was. Oh, it's fantastic. it's great. It's great. It. It's unintentional comedy. I loved it. But at the same time, what's a good switch with Isaiah Thomas? Like, what's a good matchup? Nate Robinson. So, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you switch Isaiah, if you want to keep switching, and you just end up keep, with Isaiah on a bad matchup, who cares? It's all a bad matchup, right? So who cares? Um, so the other question is really what they do with him, and and you know. When Lonzo returns, and again, we assume this is going to be a thing, the question becomes not so much who starts and who doesn't, because I still think when Lonzo's back, you know, Thomas is already coming off the bench. He's not going to suddenly insert IT into the starting lineup because Lonzo has returned. That doesn't make sense. But what you, you know, it really comes down to fourth quarters and the, the rotations and who plays when, and more, more importantly, how they play, because Second quarter, you know, first quarter when he comes in with the reserves, I, Thomas essentially is Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. And functions the same way. Absolutely. The difference is fourth quarters. Do you keep him on for every fourth quarter? Does he come off, you know, does, does Hart sit? Does KCP sit? And all that kind of stuff. And figuring out Lonzo, Ingram, and Thomas together. Um, and I, I go back to it. I'll treat him just like Jordan Clarkson, who played a lot of fourth quarters. But not every yeah. fourth quarter. I mean, I, I think, I think that's fine. pretend they're the same guy. I think if they're down seven, you're more likely to see it out there because you may need some scoring. If they're up seven and you're defending a lead, you're more likely to see Josh Hart or KCP. And if it's tied, it's going to depend on the situation. Like, has it been harder to score or harder to defend? Right. But to be honest, I don't expect the three of them to play together all that often because it's unnecessarily complicated over the last 25 or so games. And well, that, partic- that means it sitting in fourth. Fine, whatever. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. It's not. A no, I know. I know that because I disagree with you. I think that I, at the very least, I think they'll try. They'll try um, some, but I don't picture it happening a lot. I don't because it, it's it's more important that you start seeing floor combinations down the stretch of games. That's Lonzo, Josh Hart, Ingram than it is trying to force Isaiah in there, again, unless the situation calls for it. Well, I mean, the the, the the thing that could be helpful, one thing the Lakers have lacked all year long, and in late-game situations you've really seen it, is a dude, and Ingram sometimes, but a dude who can just make a bucket. Sure. Like, the shot clock is down to five or six, and the defense is locking up, and spread the floor and just let somebody go make a bucket. They've tried that with Ingram. And sometimes he can do it, and he's getting much better at it. And you know, increasingly at the end of games, it's become obvious down the road he's going to be that guy, uh, at least of the players that they have now. But it would be helpful to have another one. It would be it helpful would... to have a second guy out there. So I think there is some utility to having there's some Thomas utility out there in the fourth quarter if you don't have you are you don't then have to bend everything else to it. Yeah, you don't I have mean. To run endless pick and roll. What, what like I wouldn't want to do, even though the Lakers obviously aren't tanking, there's no reason for them to try to lose games. They actually want to lose games and be attractive. I mean, win games to be attractive. But at the same time, though, you don't want to start falling into a habit where basically Isaiah Thomas becomes the equivalent of Lou Williams bailing him out of games in a way that doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Because Isaiah Thomas is not 
is not necessarily penciled in to be a part of this no, future but, moving but forward. You still want to win games. You still want to win games, but, but I'd rather. It's not the end of the world to have him do it. So as long as he's not the, you don't want to be the focal. That's point my of point. The offense. That's my point, and that's why. I also, again, I think there could be times where they need they need baskets, but they go with the guys who matter more than putting Isaiah Thomas out there, even though it might be easier. I yeah, I mean, I, we'll, see, we'll, we'll see, see where it goes. Do, but I, I, the biggest thing is just not getting wrapped up in. Are we doing the right thing by Isaiah? No, because but I mean, that's I, why I think it's. Not- I feel bad for him because he, you know, in terms of a a guy who looked like such a great story of you know turned himself into this great player. Because stop, I, I understand he's terrible defensively, always has been. Do you know how freaking good you have to be? To be able to score thirty points a game, basically like he did last year, when you are five foot nine. Oh yeah, in the in the NBA. I mean, if he was six six, I mean, forget like Durant's height, but just like six six with those skills, he might be the best scorer in the he, league. He might be. I mean, it's it's insane. He he's five. He's a he looks like a child. Yes. when he's running around with these yes, other he does. people, he looks like a little tiny teeny child who was like given a uniform that's a little too big, and he gets to run around like as some sort of promotion. Um, and and so. You want a, a guy like this to succeed, and you understand more than most athletes with the, you know, I've been disrespected all my life, chip on my no, shoulder he really kind of has. thing. <laughs> he has been discounted through basically and his he, entire basketball. I mean, basketball he's a guy career. that actually legit needs it. Yes. You know, he needs that chip. But at the same time, though, and this might sound really cold to Thomas's situation, ultimately the reason I don't think it's going to be that complicated is because making Isaiah Thomas happy it's, it's irrelevant. No, it's I, irrelevant. Like I feel bad for him because he, he's not going to get paid. If he hadn't gotten hurt, if he hadn't, if things had worked out, whatever. But the bottom line is this guy who has built himself up and done things that are absurd uh, for somebody of his physical stature in this league is not going to – and I'm putting it in air quotes because he's, well, he's making like $8 million or whatever it is. This, he's a rich man. But he's not going to get paid in the recognition. Well, he's not going to get paid in the way he counted on. Right, in, in the way he counted on and the way that we sort of define who gets to be elite in the NBA is in part by your paycheck and like whether or not you are a max guy. That was kind of taken away from him, and I, and he's going to be, I think, a little sour about it, and I kind of get it. I get it. But it's just... It's not the Lakers' I, problem. Not the Lakers' problem. And I was going to say, not my problem if I'm the Lakers. And so, yeah, I just feel a little, you know, it's it's, it's unfortunate, but... I could still see a scenario in which the Lakers bring him back next year if he basically does what KCP did this year and passes up some, you know, four-year deal for, you know, 12 million a year, you know, whatever it is because he thinks he deserves more. And the Lakers saying, okay, fine. We have got 18 million left over for a year. Take it. We'll do a one and one. LeBron's not coming. Right. LeBron's not coming. <laughs> we're done catering to rich we've ball tried, clients we've, this offseason. Right, we've done everything else. We know where we are. Here's a year. Yeah. Come back and, and rehab it because the market was set for the market for six men. And this works for the Lakers, you know, with Randall, I think eventually the market was kind of set with Lou Williams yep. and he's only making eight mil. Yep. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, LeVar Ball has said things that are kind of silly. Yeah. I mean, and we're we're going to try to treat things coming out of his mouth with like relative importance in the way we react. But here let's get to this because if you missed it and by now you have 
LeVar basically says Lonzo, he's got the timeline a little wrong, but there's a lot that LeVar Ball doesn't understand about the way restricted free agency works. Right. Let's just, let's go with the sentiment. (laughs) There's a lot. Let's, let's, let's focus on the sentiment (laughs) of what LeVar is saying Mm -hmm. rather than the nuts and bolts accuracy. Sure. Basically, if the Lakers don't bring in Jello and Mellow, Mm -hmm. he, Lonzo will go play with someone who will. Right. The team around the NBA. And there's a lot of them that want to bring in all three. (laughs) All three. I mean, because this is really where LeVar's leverage lies. The Lakers want to avoid this bidding war. Wasn't that a Zeppelin album? Where the where LeVar's leverage lies? (laughs) I mean, but that's ultimately, I mean, there's going to be teams lining up to bring in all All three. three. And and again, that's what, that's the I mean, let's, let's, let's start with this though. The kind of juice that you would need to have in the league, like LeBron can say, get me James Jones, and somebody will go get you James Jones. Um, Jimmy Butler probably can't say, I demand James Jones. Maybe, maybe well, I mean, not. J.R. Smith but, I mean, like, got Jimmy it. Butler's what, like the 10th best player sure. in the NBA? I mean, J.R. Smith got his pretty poor basketball playing brother, Chris, paid. But that was by the Knicks. Right. <laughs> I mean, and the, the Knicks will make every single mistake. And it, it's important to remember, Goran Dragic called the shots for Zoran. Zoran. Like, Goran got Zoran traded with him to Miami. Right, but then Miami... Which was, was impressive. Which is great, but then Miami was like... It's one of my fa- that is one of my favorite NBA stories ever. Right, if you is, want to be in the you Zoran be- <laughs> Dragic business, you have to be in the Zoran Dragic That's business. one of my favorite swinging manhood but stories it's not, I've But ever it's heard. not like Miami kept Zoran no. around for years. But, I mean, but whatever happened ball. to that guy? <laughs> they played ball. So, think about how good... Lonzo is going to have to be, even with expanded rosters, to get not one, but two mm-hmm. people yeah. that he demands on the roster who may not be NBA caliber players. Look, you and I, I think generally speaking, have been very positive in our projection of Lonzo moving forward. We both think he's he going to be, be that good. He ain't going to be that good. So, I mean, you're... You're LeBron or KD at that point. Yeah. So let's let's look past this. So I mean that's it's silly. Let's look past. Well, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't. Well, okay. here's here's where because I mean it's silly in terms of an actual threat. It's silly. It is, and it is. But this is my question, and this is where because all the other stuff when you start to you know Ramona's got a story out on ESPN LA today. It talks about you know how the Lakers feel Lavar. I think rightly feel Lavar kind of reaches out with one hand. Slaps him with the other and, you know, not really playing ball. But the, the, the flip side, they're not, other than just sort of, okay, go do you. They're not overly accommodating either. Like they're charging him for tickets. They're doing, they're treating him kind of like a normal person in that regard. When he calls out Luke Walton, it's bad. Yes, it is. It's suboptimal, mm-hmm. but it, it's sort of inconsequential in a lot of ways, depending on how you, how you, how you, the team reacts, how Lonzo reacts or whatever. When he criticizes the way the front office does injury, whatever it might be. If he really is serious about this sort of thing and Lonzo is equally serious and Lonzo really, actual personnel stuff is the only place where really it could have an impact on what, I'm not saying it will, but if he, you know, if, you know, we'll find out next year if the Lakers don't bring in 
Jello. They're not going to bring in Jello. It's not going to happen. I don't think so. No, there's you no, can't. No, you I'll can't. tell you why. You, you can't. can't. A, Jello's not good enough. B, you can't let Lavar call those kind of shots. Correct. So it's, it's not going to happen. And I'll be honest. If if Lavar is actually speaking for Alonzo, who never speaks for himself, I mean, he rarely speaks. Period. If he's actually speaking for Alonzo. And again, you and I have been very supportive of Lonzo as a player and positive in our projection of him for his career. Screw the guy. Bye. See you. I agree. I, I, all of, I'm not, because he's I'm not, not disagreeing worth with the headache. I'm not disagreeing, not I'm not disagreeing with you at enough. all. It's a little bit like, you know, when people talk about, you know, you read the headlines and all of a sudden like the threat of nuclear war goes up. It's, it's, it's still a very remote possibility. But it's just higher than... Right, but the difference is I care about nuclear war. <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> I, I, if Lonzo's really going to leave because his stupid brothers can't be put on the team, I don't want him here. But it, He's not worth it. He unwittingly, or maybe wittingly, re- kind of revealed in as stupid as this subplot kind of is, the only this really is actually the only kind of truly tangible impact... That he can have on how the Lakers operate if Lonzo lets him. And that that leads to my next point that I think is important. At what point yep, this is in my notes. does Lonzo have to, if at all, if, if, if this is truly what LeVar is planning on doing and like he's going to go to the mattresses for this plan and, you know, he's going to be crushing the Lakers next summer for not putting Jello on their G League team in the summer league and Jello is the middle one right yes okay um and like and that becomes a thing at some point Lonzo is going to have to separate he's going to have to choose sure. team or dad yeah and i don't know how that goes i'm not sure how it goes either but what i think is interesting about this because to some degree i feel bad for Lonzo in the sense that my and I don't know Lonzo well at all. Again, like he's I very. Him. I don't know him at all. He's very, very quiet around us, and he's often, you know, he's very respectful to the media, all that stuff. He's he the is, polar opposite of his dad. He is trying very hard not to be a headline, but I mean, personally, I, you know, right. not be a headline. But I, I've gotten the sense, and maybe I'm wrong, that even if he tolerates this stuff from Lavar and goes along with it, he doesn't particularly like it. I think he'd prefer. All things being equal, his dad didn't do it. It's a sense I get, and I may be totally wrong. So at some point, if Lonzo doesn't speak up for himself or allows the perception of LeVar speaking for him, there's a part of me that feels bad for Lonzo in the sense that he's allowing his father not just to speak for him, but to make a fool out of him. Well, he's uh, yeah, he's actually allowing he LeVar to make a joke out of him. The stuff that I don't and look, and this is this is this is where it's. But again, but it also too, if his dad is Brian, such a Svengali over him that he's going to control every single one of his moves moving forward, then I feel bad for Lonzo, but he's a lost case. I I feel. I mean, if it's really no, to get, that degree sympathy, of control, my sympathy is like you know, it's you talk about it. It's like he's or stand up the for thing yourself. That, sure, but the thing that I think is. Is it's complicated, but at some point you may have to. Is Lavar has sort of defined Lonzo too? Yes, Lonzo is the guy who sells four hundred ninety-five dollars shoes. Lonzo is the guy who you can go get his autograph at Pointe Hills Mall this week Saturday uh, from noon to two. 
city of industry um for 200 bucks 200 bucks and i don't like it's 210 if you want the authentication right is 200 bucks expensive for an autograph yes sounds like it no it is i mean i'm not an autograph guy but from what i've read that's expensive right on the flip side is and this somebody pointed this out if you were one of those people who wanted the wet Zotus, were the ones that come with his autograph on it, but you did want to spend $995 on it, you could have spent the $495, and then for $200, you have him sign it, and now you have a pair of wet Zotus, sure. and you save $200. Well, you can you can actually have anything autographed. Like, that's part of the deal. It's 200 bucks, but you can bring in anything. You know what I'd bring in? What? The Aaron Fox jersey. <laughs> That's funny. Stephen A. Is yeah, if he's over, afraid, uh, if he's Lonzo afraid of De'Aaron Fox, Fox, he won't sign. He it. won't sign it. But that's what I'd have him sign: a De'Aaron Fox jersey. But then you get your money back. I guess <laughs> you know you don't like if he, you bring him. You pay first, and then you get to the front of the line, and then they decide whether or not you can get that autographed. And if he says no, you're not getting your money back. No refunds. Nope. No exchanges. You might actually, you might get to the front I mean, of the line, you, I mean, you and they might change what he's going to be. I mean, you don't think it's point of sale. <laughs> you don't think you don't think like you slide over the money as Lonzo's signing. Yeah, but there was there were some interesting. I, mean, I thought the there was it was little you know, like when like a bag man hands you the, the money as you hand them the drugs. There's a lot of little little stuff in that Ramona article, but I, there were a few things that stuck out. Like when people started complaining about the shoes and people not getting their shoes. Valid complaint. <laughs> I think so. They were a lot of people were calling the Lakers to complain that yeah. they weren't getting their shoes, and they had to explain the we not this isn't our job. Like we don't deliver sure. your Zotus. Sure, and so you know stuff like that, where if things go wrong with the brand, it could tarnish the Lakers. And what will happen if more bad news comes out about the brand? And it could because I'm still a little suspicious about the whole shoe thing. The he's going to go bigger. Bad news, LeVar goes big. Yes. He's going to double down, triple down, he, step tumble We've said down. this many times. He follows the Trump model. Yes. And uh, you may have noticed Donald Trump likes to lean into some right. controversy. You never, you never apologize. Right. You double down, triple down, and you always just keep planting that flag. And so if – and I people are sick of LeVar, and I get it. And I think the, 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 the odds, Andy, of something like this happening are relatively small because eventually the Lakers – you know, you're right. If you draw a line in the sand and say we have to – I control who's on this team personnel-wise, and you have to put my brothers on it. No, I mean, I can promise they'll, you they'll those two it. brothers will never be on the Lakers, if not just for the but perception that LeVar's going to If you're, they looking, will never if be you're on. looking for the scenario in which things go sideways. really bad, sideways, and it's because of the LeVar thing, it is things start to unravel around the shoe company. Maybe some people start digging into... There's some weird financial stuff or whatever it is, and I'm not accusing them of that. I don't know their their books. I don't know how they do it. LeVar, to his credit, seems to have – baller books? Yeah, but yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> LeVar, to his credit, has a, a very kind of forward – they're making a ton of money off the Facebook thing. Like he, he has an eye for this sort of marketing. I just don't know how much money they're bringing in or how well he takes care of it. But if that stuff goes sideways um, – You and, know, by the way – this thought just popped into my head, and I'm not. I'm not saying the president would do this. I'm just saying they've been feuding, and he's awfully close to the IRS. You're right. An audit. Yeah. Just saying. You know, Lavar might want to at some point make an apology because well, just, I mean, it, Trump is awfully based, close to those based IRS. Based on folks. how the shoes and all those things, and the you know people getting the wrong orders and say, it does seem like there is an occasional lack of attention to detail in the in the ball. 
organization. Yeah. Whatever. But the, if it goes sideways, it's it's going to go sideways because something happens with the brand. LeVar has to go nuclear kind of to keep things going and uses Lonzo as the mechanism for that. Yes. And I, I, I hope it doesn't get there. I don't think it's going to get there. But that's the that's well, this the, gets back. That's but, what that's why when people say LeVar doesn't matter, they're wrong. Well, LeVar this, does matter. But this also though gets back to what I've always said: because LeVar is the face of big baller brand, even though his oldest son is the actual athlete involved. Whenever people talk about you know LeVar's taking this big risk going outside the system, you know LeVar's rolling the dice. LeVar's not risking anything. It's Lonzo. Lonzo's actually the one taking the risk because he could have guaranteed Nike money, guaranteed all these endorsements without any of the headache. He's the one actually taking the risk, not LeVar. I, I, I agree. And it's, Lon, it's Lonzo's name that will yep. ultimately, performance that ultimately drives all these things. Yep. Um, all right. So that's enough LeVar talk, but I do caution people against saying LeVar is irrelevant. He is not irrelevant. He's just periodically more relevant than other times. And has the potential to be. He's misrepresented at times. Yes. Um, let's look at this. The Lakers um, are part of the reason, Andy, now that LeBron isn't coming. For like a day, he was the, the Lakers. The Cleveland cleared the space that the Lakers are going to use to sign LeBron. Now Cleveland's very happy and they're playing really well. And that means LeBron is going to stay in Cleveland. The Lakers screwed themselves. Um, neither one of those things is really true. LeBron's going to go where he wants to go. But it is interesting how well Cleveland is playing and how that has completely shifted the narrative in the Eastern Conference back from, okay, Cleveland's done. Can Toronto do it? Can Boston do it too? Oh, yeah, no, Cleveland's going to win again. Well, it's also interesting too because LeBron has now seen his general manager make two trades, two very big trades under huge duress, you know, less than ideal circumstances. And obviously the Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving trade did not turn out well for Cleveland. But at the time, to be fair, a lot of people thought that Cleveland did pretty well in that deal, all things, all things considered. considered. And this deal, I think Cleveland did about as well as you possibly could have, trying to do enough to to keep Le- to keep LeBron engaged and happy. Mm-hmm. And if you read, uh, Woj has a really good uh, account of how everything went down. You know what they call that, Andy? A TikTok. It has a good it's TikTok. A TikTok. It's a TikTok. And one of the things that Kobe Altman did, apparently – and this doesn't happen often, was he talked to LeBron about wanting to, you know, make a deal, but was upfront with him about your engagement level has been off. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Oh, it was without, obvious. Without, I mean, look, LeBron, right. I mean, it was but obvious. No, but, but it's not often, I'm guessing, that LeBron gets, gets told, told that by, by the front sure. office, specifically by the front office. So, you know, he if nothing else, he's looking at his new GM, and he loved David Griffin, but he can see his new GM in the dummy. His new GM may actually know what he's doing, and then it just turns into a case of how much do I want to tolerate Dan Gilbert? And um, you know, it's it's not surprising that the that the Cavs have turned it around in in part just because LeBron cares again. Um, I think personnel wise, what they did makes sense. It makes him younger. We talked about this last week, but the biggest thing is just it makes LeBron engaged again. Yeah. And when LeBron is engaged, the rest of them are engaged. Um, the pieces that the pieces fit together better. And they're better team, younger, bouncier, and all that is is helpful. The flip the the flip side of that is in the in the Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors are going into the All Star break. Andy is the second best team in the West mm-hmm. because they, aside from the one game they got to coach themselves, have not given a bleep for the last uh, month. Houston has the best record in basketball right now. Any real threat here to Golden State in the playoffs, or is it truly? 
boredom. And then you look, Golden State's pretty much copped. Steve Kerr is copped to it. They're biting their time into the playoffs. Look, they I, are bored to tears. Right I now. still think they're the best team in the league. And I think more so than other teams that in the past you know, we've we've sort of counted on to flip a switch. I think they're capable of doing it because even their relative bad playing is still better than most of the league. Well, sure. I mean, like, you know, they, they play better phoning it in than 95% of the league is even capable of doing. But I, I will say this. But it looked like they were playing, for example, last night, they were playing against Portland yeah. Wednesday night. They were playing, they were playing, they were playing, playing hard, but you know, at the same time, Portland is a good team. That's sure. a hard building to play in. You're going to lose some games. Like the idea that you know them losing a game to Portland means something is wrong, right? I think is a little hyperbolic. No, but it's in in combined with them. It's it, there's it, always a da- there's right. always a danger in just counting on it to happen. You know, whether externally, internally, that you just you just Lakers automatically switch, right? You automatically assume it'll happen, and you know their their bench this year has not been as good as it's been. We we kind of missed that, didn't we? Because like at the beginning of the year. We saw what they did. They brought in Nick Young and Caspi and all these Brought back you know, Livingston. Brought back Iguodala. All these guys were like, wow, they actually may be better than they were last David year. David West has been by far the best bench player. Really, they're kind of their only bench yeah. player. I mean, Iggy's been sort of up and down. Up and down. And the uh, the expectation every year is that he elevates in the playoffs. Because yes. he's getting, I mean, how old is he now? 34, 35. He's getting older. And so you don't want him burning that energy every night. But Livingston's getting up there too. You're I mean, right. Even Nick Young's in his thirties. But like, but we thought that bench was going to be. Oh my yeah. god, they added more shooting. Yeah, and it hasn't worked. No. And when and we, it's a little bit like the debate that we we were having the other night on the post game show. Do what's the window for these guys? When do windows close? And obviously, I Michael Thompson tells us every day, Clay's not going anywhere, and I believe him. Maybe he does whatever, but. You know, if everything works out perfectly and nothing weird happens and guys don't get injured and this and that, whatever, Golden State, because of the ages of these players, should be the best team in basketball for the next four years. My argument would be that's never how it works. Guys do get hurt. Weird things do happen. Guys get tired of each other. Draymond and and Katie suddenly can't get along anymore because they've just been together too much and now somebody's got to go and it's probably Draymond. You take Draymond away from that team, they are vastly different. Or Clay, one piece changes in a way that messes with the whole thing. And now, okay, maybe they're still the best, but now they're best in a much more vulnerable way. And so I just, I, I, every time this happens, where a team starts to get, even when they just get bored and they're obviously still, still the best team, it's a reminder to me that there's a reason teams don't stay that elite for a decade at a time. Yeah, And I, I feel like we're talking about the Warriors as if it's basically just fait accompli, that they're going to be amazeballs, you know, capable of 70 wins a year for the next half decade. I don't think it's true. I mean, it is funny. I mean, we don't think about it that often, even though we talk about that they've gone now, they're looking for their fourth straight finals appearance. It also means they've been doing this four straight years. Yes. I mean, you're like some of that window of time before you count on that burnout factor has already been it just used. wears It just wears on you. Yeah. There's a reason LeBron behaves the way that he does. It's because, A, they you guys get bored. You get a little bit complacent. You, you get tired. I mean, forget physically. 
You get mentally tired doing this year after year after year. And as the team that everybody guns for. And sometimes you can keep going and some guys can declutter their minds and work through whatever. And then some guys just can't. And I, by that, by that seventh year, they're just not the same. It's not, I can't engage. I, I, I will say this though, because I, I think what you're bringing up is a legitimate point, but I Thank do, you. but I do think that if there's any group of, you know, a list players that personality wise, is wired to fit for a longer term than we often expect. It would be these guys. Sure. Like I think their personalities mesh about as well as it as could for it, for this. As does the style and the ethic that they're brought. I mean, there is. I mean, obviously there are stars, and the, you know, KD is slash Steph, and then the next tier is Draymond and and Clay and and whatever. But you know, the, the kind of the ethic around the way that franchise operates makes a lot of sense. For a sustained thing, as opposed to, I got to deal with you know another. Jo- I got to s- just sit there and take it from MJ for another three years. Yeah, I got to take it from Kobe. They're about gotta- as well set up to do it as you can, assuming anybody can. But it gets the, the it gets to the, the the argument that that fans are having now. I think with the Lakers, and it, and it makes sense. Like if you can get really good next year, but you're only you can only get to eighty eight percent. Pick a number of the Warriors. Do you do it, or do you take that risk of well, if we play this right, we can get to 100% of the Warriors, even if we're not, we're not, we don't have to be, if we play it right, we don't have to be as good as the Warriors are now to win titles in five years because nobody will be as good as the Warriors are now. I th- but the problem is you have no guarantee you're actually going to get good enough or that some other team doesn't become the Warriors in the interim. There's no guarantees of any of this. You just, I think you just honestly have to gauge, it's not even so much where you stand, it's really gauging the Warriors. Because if you really think they're going to be that good, then the odds of the Lakers being able to put together a team, I think, that can compete with them right now. So you would wait. You would, you would try I think to there's thread, an argument. You would try to thread that needle. I, I, I am very anti-needle thread. See, I actually, I actually consider, it depends on how you define threading the needle. But for me, what I'm talking about is the idea of t- trying to time your eliteness. Right. I know. I understand what you're saying. For I'm, when you think no, the Warriors I under- will be done. I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is, the flip side of it is the way you'd want to do it is also threading a needle. It's just threading a different needle. Well, no, it's because you're trying, you're, you are trying to thread a needle in a very short period of time. I'm just trying to, that I, you can be good enough to beat this team that's been like just, vastly better than everyone else. I would try, my, my, it's, my it's, attitude it's, is I would ignore the Warriors when fun. I, when I'm trying to make, if I'm the Lakers trying to figure out what to do, I don't, I don't consider the Warriors in that way of like, okay, what are the Warriors going to be in a year? It just or two depends or three? on how much. For me, it depends on how much how, configuring just, of the team. How good you're can do. I make my team? It depends on how much. Right. It, for example, it's really it, a LeBron argument. But that's what I was going to say. You're it's not LeBron. talking about if it's Paul, Paul George and the Anthony Davis trade. Sure. that's a different deal. Right, than exactly. Bringing in LeBron. It's, it's it's LeBron and all the concessions that typically go with bringing in LeBron. That's where I think that window argument, threading a needle, however you want to put it, becomes really legit because I think you can make a strong case for reconfiguring this team, moving a lot of the young core that they have specifically to appease LeBron for a three-year window is a bad idea. And also, I will say this too, and this isn't necessarily the way the Lakers should think about it, Mm -hmm. but I do think I'm not alone about thinking of this way from a fan perspective, and I'm definitely a fan of the team in the way you're not. There is, and I don't mean that as a slam on you. It's no, just it's, it's, it's true. True. There is something 
that is more pleasurable to watch, Brian, as a fan? No question. When it's your guys as opposed to bringing in potentially all mercenaries. It's a different experience. I mean, you get, you maybe you get closer to the rings and the ring count. If you break down, and if you break down the anti-LeBron crowd, I think it, and I, I don't mean this like, no, you know, I, some of them get upset because they think LeBron's a that's threat what, to that's Kobe. What I said. That, He's th- not. If you break down the anti-LeBron crowd, it kind of breaks down into categories, like you say, of the anti, the Kobe defenders. Right. And those people are stupid. But then the other group. LeBron can't, LeBron as a Laker cannot touch Kobe. Right. The, he might be, he might be considered having a better not. career when it's all said and done, but as a Laker, it's not, right. he can't touch Kobe. The other group though are the people who look at the way the Lakers have won titles in the past and they say, we've always done it with our guys. Yes. Like, you know, Magic was our, and they're, they're, you know, Kareem came from another place, but he was with the Lakers for a long time and he's associated with the Lakers certainly now more than, than the Bucks, you know. He was, Shaq played with the Lakers Shaq, longer than any other team. Right. Shaq got to the Lakers and, but he was paired with Kobe, who was our guy. Yeah. Fish was our guy. And so you, when you have these, like, that's how they've always done it. And a team with LeBron, if it comes with LeBron and Paul George, and then, you know, you're left with, one or two of the draft picks as opposed to three or four of them. Or if you trade them all for Anthony Davis, which, you know, can be obviously defended. Right. I'm just saying it, you have literally no connection to there, those guys. There's something about that from a fan it's a merc- perspective. It's, it feels mercenary. Yeah, it's a mercenary tactic, which again can be defended in terms of how close it puts you to contention. And I'm not saying it's a stupid thing to do. I'm just saying from a fan perspective, there's something considerably less pleasurable about seeing a team like that play out. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, ultimately, we care because these are emotional connections yes. that you make to it your ca- team, to your players. Yeah, and, all and that. some people really just care about the end result. Do you get a championship they or not? They care about the laundry. Right. They care about the laundry. They care about the ring count. And I'm not putting those people down. I'm just saying for a lot of fans, there is a connection to the players that you're not going to necessarily have if you bring in LeBron and Paul George, and then maybe flip a few more of your guys. Or whatever it's, whatever it's going to be. Right. right. Um, all right, before we go, interesting uh, interesting movie week. Let's let's start with this one, though, because it's the 25th Monday of last week, was of this week, was the 25th anniversary of uh, Groundhog Day. Yep, came out February 12th, 1993. Right, which um, it was on Groundhog Day. Because Monday no. was no Monday was Groundhog Day. I'm saying the anniversary of Groundhog Day happened to land this year, I believe, on Groundhog Day. Oh yes, because the way the calendar falls. the way the calendar works. Yeah, Monday was Groundhog Day. Um, so we we were gonna we had this whole like fun presentation where we had clips we we're gonna play, but our clip playing machine is broken. So, but anyway, this movie, as much as any movie, I think I that I kind of grew up with. Has I mean, it's not like it, people didn't recognize how good it was. No, when it did it well. Out. It made about seventy-one million in the theaters. Got generally very good reviews. Good reviews, and it was well received. And people have always loved Groundhog Day. But it wasn't at the time either a massive hit or a massive critical hit. It has a more than as much as at least any movie that I grew up with that I really know well become kind of part of the canon, particularly for comedies. In, like I said, in ways that no other, and, and so well deserved because this movie is as rewatchable as any you will find. Which is really ironic anywhere. considering how on its face repetitive it is. By def- definitionally By def- repetitive. Yes. So the idea that a movie this repetitive in the way the sequences are set up could be this rewatchable, it's a tribute to Brian, a script and a concept 
that so could have easily failed. Like when you think about how old it could have gotten where you have multiple instances of watching the same scene replay over Over and over and over. Like it could have been unfunny. It could have gotten really tedious. The fact that it works as well as it does is just a testament to the reworking they did of the script and just how original – how original a concept with what they wanted to do with it because it's been done before but what they sure i mean it's 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 a christmas carol there's a lot of elements of that there's some elements to some degree of like it's a wonderful life you know some of those thematically it touches on a lot of things that are that are not new i mean there are no new really new themes and stories to tell one interesting thing that i saw and i and i apologize for not remembering who said it but i was reading an article i think it was in the guardian or something like that 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 was pointed out was the the decisions that they made, two of them that, that that stuck out. The first one, they never explain how this happens or why it happens. What you're left with is, you know, big for example, it's the the Zoloft, Zola, not no, Zoloft, Zola. <laughs> uh, Zoltar, Zoltar, Zoloft machine, <laughs> Zoloft machine. While potentially marketable, <laughs> very unsafe, different particularly film. for children, very different film. Yeah, too. Zoltar, right? Zoltar. But a, so. a, a Zoloft machine, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if it's less safe for kids or but adults. I'll tell you <laughs> what, it makes for a chill movie-watching experience. <laughs> That's your new Netflix and chill. Um, so, you, you you know, they they explain how Tom Hanks gets sent back, you know, to be a yeah. kid. There is no, there is no, exp- and apparently there was a scene that they cut where it was like a gypsy curse or something that would have been, and it's so much better without it because you're just left with, Bill Murray is very clearly a person who needs to improve. Yeah. And that's, it is the concept of just doing it until you become genuinely better. And then the second thing that stuck out to me that I, I hadn't really noticed until it was pointed out was how little that there's nothing in this movie that they put in there that would date the movie. There's no joke that won't make sense to people in 40 years. There's no commentary on 1993. Culture, well, right, but you know? It's interesting you say that because uh, Stephen Tobolowsky, who plays uh, Needle Nose Ned. Ned? Ned the Head? Uh, I'm reading a quote from him where he said, Harold Ramis told me that the film actually takes place over 10,000 years based on the Buddhist principle that it takes 10,000 years for a human soul to be perfect. And Harold Ramis was a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. So that actually explains why in a lot of ways they wouldn't look to make it topical because the movie is spread out over 10,000 years. No, you're years. right. It wouldn't make sense. I mean, but like in – Like a pl- – you know, as far as the world that they've created, they don't cheat the world and they don't cheat the rules. Right. And the only thing that that is specific, like literally in time, it almost seems like is like when he just learns the answer to every Jeopardy question. Yeah. Because like those are Jeopardy questions of that day. Or I got you, babe. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's about it. But it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a deep, in its own way, it's a very deep oh, movie. Oh, it's an incredibly deep it's movie. It's a very deep movie. And, I, and one of the reasons that the repetitive mechanism doesn't get old is you always see the wheels in Phil Connor's head turning. And, you know, and what he's doing with these repeat encounters with either Rita, Andy McDowell's character, or uh, Needle Nose Ned, or Nancy, the girl that he tries to hook up with. You know, in the beginning, he's using all this for selfish reasons. Correct. He's he's trying. He learns Andy McDowell's favorite drink because he's trying to sleep with her. Right. And then eventually, he you know he goes from abusing this to feeling trapped by it to being liberated by it, and ultimately realizing like I've got all this time on my hands to become a better person. Mm-hmm. And that's what eventually, again, takes you to that ten thousand years. You become. A better person. Yeah, it's, just, person. It's, it's, a, it's a brilliant movie. Um, and 
I mean, I, I was, if you haven't seen if you haven't seen Groundhog Day, well, you probably turned this podcast right. off. I mean, but what also is, too, what's the matter with you? It's also great too because there, there may not be a comedic actor like better suited to believably play this jaded man prompted through these extreme circumstances to become a better person. And it set up this template of sorts for Bill Murray. I was going to ask you this because you you know the 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 IMDb calendar. Yes. This, this was the pivot point, right? Kind of I from think so. Bill Murray, where he from being goofy Caddyshack guy, I think so. to actual. Actor. I mean, it, it reignited Bill Murray's career, you know, from like his '80s heyday, and it's it's the biggest starring hit he had, you know, from the '80s that you know uh, that that he's a lead in, and you know, it's it's really his biggest grossing movie that's not either like a broad comedy right. like Stripes or you know even Ghostbusters or that he's in a supporting role. But I think it reshaped Bill Murray's career because I think this was like arguably the first fully fleshed character that he had ever played. He doesn't do Rushmore, right? Without this movie, right? I mean, I think this leads to Rushmore, and then you know it leads to Lost in Translation, then Broken Flowers, and then Saint uh, Saint Vincent, I believe it's called Mm -hmm. uh, the movie with uh, Melissa McCarthy. Right, little little movie, but it was very good, very good performances, and he was particularly right. And, And you know, it sort of set this template. For Bill Murray, and I think also Groundhog Day, it came out the same year as Mad Dog and Glory, which I like, but didn't do as well. But you had Bill Murray cast against type as a gangster, and I think he pulls it off. But I think Groundhog Day in particular really signaled to people, like, Bill Murray can actually act. And, like, I think, like, you'd seen glimpses of it before. Like, I remember remembering Ghostbusters after they uh, take down uh, Gozar, you know, with all the, the flamethrowers. After they take down... Uh... They take down Gozar and, you know, it's all like fiery ruins and smoke everywhere. And Dan Aykroyd, you know, and uh, Sigourney Weaver's character have been turning like a hellhound. Right. And, you know, I've been attacking them. And Dan Aykroyd's character says, you know, it smells like barbecue dog hair, (laughs) which is a really funny line. But Bill Murray shoots him this look that just you could cut glass. I mean, like he shoots him a real look. I remember seeing that at the time. And thinking like the look was so strong, it almost pulls you out of the scene. But it's like, that's real acting, like particularly in what's going on. Like he's playing the moment for real. That's the woman I was in love with. And you're making a joke about right. barbecue dog hair. Like you'd see these glimpses, you know, and it, like he was ambitious and trying to play Hunter S. Thompson and wear the Buffalo Rome. Like, you know, uh, quick change, I think, is sort of an off kilter role for him. Like, you know, you see, you saw these glimpses, but I think Groundhog Day really signal to people bill murray can act yeah and it's just that's it, really it's one of my favorite movies and it's a so great many, so many quotable things and things that we would have played for you had our machine worked um all right but uh so we got all-star weekend this weekend um a little bit of a downer for the lakers because the slam dunk competition the guy who was going to represent the lakers is now uh representing the Cavs. he's still going to get a hell of a ovation he's oh, it's gonna be great you know what? Play your the NBA play a thank you Larry video. The Cavs will be in town in like in, in like a month. We'll do it then. Um, but you know, Lonzo's not playing. They, they they should have a sense of humor, by the way, with uh, the thank you video with Jordan Clarkson's. It should be all presented like through like Snapchat and Instagram photos. It should be Jordan, like they should slide it should, in. It should be Jordan putting up his own video thanking all the ladies. <laughs> like if there, if there's a way to slide into a tribute video, <laughs> they need to do that. Um I feel that the worst the worst thing about this for Clarkson, look, it's going to be very exciting for him to get to play deep in the playoffs. He's never done that before. The minute he realizes that the 25 
best looking women in Cleveland are actually in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be really dis- disappointed by that. Um, and don't even get me started on Akron. Um, all right. So, you know, a little bit of a downer weekend for the Lakers given that Lonzo can't play and Nance is in Cleveland, but still uh, some to look forward to. And we will look forward to it as well next week, getting you ready for the second half of the season. See y'all.